morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. We don't know a whole lot about Judas. We know what he did in the end. But a lot of times we don't know where he started from. And today I want to get into how he started, where he went, what brought him to his final demise, and and, and how that affects us and what that means to us. I I want to look at how uh, they chose the disciples and and, and what it meant to be an apostle. I'm going to be talking about disciples and apostles. Disciples are everybody who followed Christ. Apostles were the 12. All right, everybody say 12. And and I I want to read to you a little bit about what... Uh, what it meant to be an apostle. Later, after Judas was gone and the, the, the apostles were getting together and figuring out how am I gonna, how are we going to replace Judas, this is what they said in Acts chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For none of these must become a witness with us of, of his, for one of these must become a witness of us, for, of his resurrection. So here we see they were replacing Judas, but I want you to get a sense of what it meant to be an apostle. These were people that had been with Christ from the beginning. The 12, they didn't show up late. They were there from the very beginning, from the time Christ was baptized. We can assume from this that Judas, even though it doesn't say it anywhere specifically in the scripture, that he began to follow Christ from the very beginning. He was there. He, he was a, 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 an early believer, an early follower. It, it is, it is, he was a sincere disciple of Christ. This was before there was money, before he was a treasurer, before he was getting rich, before he was stealing, before he was robbing, before he betrayed, before any of all that. He was a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Judas, he didn't start out being demon-possessed. That came later. I want to remind you this morning, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. It's not, it's not where you begin, it's where you find yourself at the end, amen? And there's a whole lot of ups and downs and troubles and trials and tribulations, and, and sometimes you feel down, and sometimes you feel like, I've messed it all up, I did it again, here goes everything, all my life has fallen apart, but it's not that moment that matters, it's where you're at when you finish, Amen? In the same way, there are times when you are so high and you are so right with God and everything you're doing, you're in such communion with God, you feel like you're just walking and talking with Jesus every minute of every day. And even then, even though that is great, that's not it. It's where you finish. Because you can be high and you can be low. You can go up and you can go down. You can be on the mountaintop and in the valley. And you're going to be in all of it and everywhere in between, but it's where you finish that matters. Amen? I want to read this to you. The, the scripture says that, that Jesus looked out among his disciples, all of them, and then he chose 12. He chose 12. Now we're talking about Judas. I want you to see that Jesus chose Judas to be one of the 12. Now, there is a whole lot of false teaching out there, and I want you to be very careful about what you read and what you see on the internet. Trust me, not everything on the internet is true. Bonjour. 
if you know that commercial, right? Not everything is true. The, there, there's a lot of people who will say, well, Judas was only obeying. He was doing what God wanted him to do. If we're going to believe that, then we have to believe that Jesus or God created Judas for the sole purpose of being condemned to hell forever. Now, that goes against my understanding of Scripture of who God is. Because the Bible says that God is love. The Bible says that whosoever shall believeth in him. Amen? Even Judas. At, at one point, Jesus uh, was referred to as the snake of Moses. If you remember in the Old Testament, they were getting bit by snakes. And, and God said to Moses, go and make a snake. And everybody who looks at the snake, they'll be saved. And then Jesus is compared to the snake. Now, when you think of a snake in the Bible, what do you think of? The devil. This was God's way of saying even Lucifer, had he repented, somebody who's done as much evil as Satan himself, if they repent, I will forgive because he is faithful to forgive. Amen? And so we have to understand that Judas was not a, an agent of destruction from the beginning. This was a transformation that took place. This was a falling away. And, and, and so Jesus saw something in him. Luke chapter 9, verse 6, it says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Amen? Amen. Read it again and think about Judas. When the twelve came together, Jesus gave Judas the power and authority to drive out demons. He gave Judas the power to cure diseases. He asked Judas and sent him out to preach with the anointing and to heal the sick. Judas was not an object of destruction. Judas was a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Y'all hear me this morning? The Spirit approved of Judas. Because you're not going to be able to go and heal. You're not going to be able to go and preach. You're not going to be able to do those things unless the Holy Spirit is helping you. Now, we know the devil can do certain things, and he can uh, do false miracles, and we know that day is coming. But when he says, go out and preach the gospel, the devil's not going to go out and preach the gospel. He may slur it a little bit. He may change it a little bit. He may divert it. He may contort it and, and distort it, but he is not going to go and preach the gospel. Now, if Judas would have been preaching a false gospel, I believe the other disciples would have said something. That would have been like having a, having a, a New York Giants fan in your seat at the Cowboys game. You don't do it. Amen. Jesus would later say, a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. He would not have sent Judas out if Judas was against him. Judas was with him. Y'all with me this morning? And if he would have returned as the only one unable to do miracles, unable to deliver demons, if he was preaching the wrong gospel, if he was saying things that he shouldn't have been saying, something would have happened. And so we know that the Spirit was with him, there was anointing there, and, and he was approved by the Holy Spirit. The apostles approved of him, because later they made him treasurer. Now maybe they just didn't want to be treasurer, I don't know, no one ever wants to be the treasurer. But he became the treasurer, and that's a very significant position. You've got to keep track of the money. When anything goes wrong, who gets blamed? The treasurer or the preacher, one or the other. Because everything, and, and people get upset over money. Amen? I mean, people will fight you over a dollar. They will get mad. I've been in the grocery store. Somebody got 50 cents less than what they were supposed to get yelling at the clerk. 
Because money means something to people. And so in order for them to put him in charge and for them to be approved, for Christ to be approved, we understand. And all I'm trying to get you to see is that Judas was not born evil. Nobody is. Amen? Nobody is. He was sold out for Christ. Yet he still fell from grace. In the end, he was around a table like this, the Last Supper we call it. And Jesus was telling them, somebody tonight will betray me. And and they begin to ask, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And somehow in in the pandemonium of of how these suppers were and everybody talking with one another, and you can imagine after he said that, the whispering that went on. And if you've ever been in a meeting, you're trying to talk and everybody's having their own little discussions. And that's what was going on. And so Judas said, is it I? And, And Jesus said, it's you. And, and so he went from being a sincere follower to somebody so filled with anger and bitterness and hatred that God was justified to give Lucifer permission to enter into his body, to possess him completely. He went from being an early beginning follower, sold out, I'll leave everything. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Left his family, left his job, left everything just to follow Jesus. He did not start out as somebody with a conspiracy. How am I going to mess all this up? He was sincere and true. We can never be so holy that we don't fall away. This is not a feel-good message. This is the truth. We can never be so holy that we don't fall away, that we can't fall away. The Apostle Paul said that he disciplined himself so that after he had preached, that he himself would not be disqualified from the prize. Now, the Apostle Paul is the greatest doctrinal teacher that we've ever had other than Christ himself and God himself. And he said, after I have gone out and preached and I've gone from one church to another and been a missionary all over the world, if I don't discipline myself and keep myself free from sin, then I myself may be disqualified from the prize. He later said in one place, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, he said, if you think you've made it, you better be careful. If you think that, 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 that you're so right and so holy with God that you can't fall away, be careful. He said, you better stand firm and hold on to your salvation lest you fall. Amen? And and, and so salvation is something, it is a gift from God that must be treasured. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I am saved by the grace of God. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. How about you? Amen? Do you, amen? Praise the Lord for that. That's a good thing to give the Lord a praise for. Amen? Do Do you remember where you were? The Apostle Paul said, don't ever forget where you were, what you came from. What would your life be without him? Even if you did everything right as much as you could, it still wouldn't deal with your sin issue, except that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amen? And so you could be the most perfect man ever be. You can never be perfect. The Bible says if you claim there's no sin in your life, then you're a liar. Amen? Next time somebody's acting all perfect, just say, liar. <laughs> no, nobody perfect. 
So everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs a Savior. When I think about who I was and where I've come from and what I've come to, now can I be honest with you? I got a long way to go. Can I get a witness to that? I got a long way to go. Anybody else got a long way to go? Amen. So, you know, you've heard the saying, I'm not who I want to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. Amen. And it's only by the grace of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Give him the Lord a praise. Amen. It's only by him. I can't do it myself. I couldn't get myself. I could not switch the way I thought or change the way I did things or, or undo the way that I handled situations. And I was causing harm after harm and hurt after hurt. And, and I still do it. I still do it. But back then I did it and thought I was right. <laughs> now, if I do it, I say, Lord, forgive me because I know it's wrong. Amen. And, and, and only God can get in my mind. My mind without the Holy Spirit cannot even think that way. Without God, I think I'm right all the time. Now, I'm close. I remember I was wrong once back in 1973. No. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Anybody ever have those Christmas parties where you exchange gifts and stuff, you know? And you don't know what they are until you open them up. <clears throat> Anybody ever get something and you thought, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and now it's in your closet. And it's up there and you keep thinking, I can't wait for another party and I'll give it to somebody else. <laughs> right? One of those gifts. You see, just because it's a gift doesn't mean you treasure it. And just because you have received salvation doesn't mean you're treating it with the honor and the reverence that it merits. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean be afraid of God, but it means have some reverence and understand that this is a special, sacred thing that you have received from God. It is a heavenly thing that you have received. You can't get anywhere else. Made possible only by God himself coming in the form of a man and experiencing excruciating torture and finally dying on the cross. That's the only way you get the gift. And so how much more special do we need to treat our salvation? Amen? Salvation is a gift that must be treasured. And so whenever we don't treasure it, then we begin to take it for granted. We begin to take our salvation for granted. Now, if I were to ask anybody here, are you grateful that God has saved your soul? Everybody would say, amen, I'm grateful. But how do you live your life? I don't always live my life grateful for God for what he did for me. And there are times when I, when I think, well, you know, I'm so big. I got so much to do. I don't know if I have time to read the Bible. I don't know if I have time to pray today. I don't know. And, and sometimes I don't even have those thoughts because I'm just so busy. And, and there are many days when my first thought is not about Christ. My first thought is about whatever I got to do or whatever's going on. And, and whenever I get to the place where I don't understand that I desperately need him every day, then I'm going to take my salvation for granted. Spiritual arrogance delights the devil. Well, I'm not arrogant. Do you live as if you need him? Or do you live as if he's just going to show up when you call him? See, there's a difference between him being your savior and Lord and him being your sugar daddy. Amen? 
The difference between him being almighty God, the creator of all the heavens and all the stars and all the universe, and, and the one that keeps everything going in my body and your body and all of creation, there's a difference between that God and a genie that you rub the bottle and say, come out and do something for me. When we live like that, that is spiritually arrogant and it delights the devil. He gets happy when you live like that. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, above all else, guard. Everybody say guard. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Amen? My, my, my dad, he was, an, he was a football player, an old school football player. He, he, he's got a, a glass case with a leather helmet. He's not that old, <laughs> but, but he tells the kids they are. And so some of my kids, you know, maybe a shock. They just found out, you know, it's like Santa Claus doesn't exist. Suddenly they realized Papa had a real helmet. Uh, but my mom talks about he was an offensive guard. And so my mom talks about when they were in college and he was playing football, that he'd just go around the house. And every time he'd get to a door jam, he'd just boom, and he hit the door jam. And, and so the, the door jams would, you know, little by little begin to break and crack. And all over the house, because he would just... And, and when I read this scripture, that was the first thing that came to my mind because my dad was a, uh, an offensive guard. It is guard your heart. There ought to be some force ought to be some effort guarding my heart. What I let in it, what people say. You know, just because somebody says something to you doesn't mean you got to let it sit in your heart. Sometimes people say something to you, you just need to let it go right on out. Amen? And things that you see on television, things you see on the movie, things in radio, you got to guard your heart. There's got to be something physical uh, or spiritually but intense saying, I'm not going to let anything inside of me that's going to keep me from my God. I'm just not going to let it happen. I don't care what you do or what you say, amen, because it, it, here's what it says, above all else, guard your heart for it is a wellspring of life, amen. I remember we, we went to Mexico on a mission trip. And, uh, and what they tell you, don't drink the water, don't drink the water, don't drink the water. <clears throat> so we're doing a VBS, and, and we're in this little room. It's about as big as this table, and there's like 9,000 children in there. <laughs> we're all cramped. And it's 127 degrees, and, and it, we've been going all day, all day, all day, doing vacation Bible school. And, just, and so this lady, one of the moms, she comes over, and, uh, <clears throat> and, and she says, ¿Quieres un jugo? And, and she, she was asking, do you want some juice? And she offered me some watermelon juice. Man, it looked good. I was just sweating. And it had a little bit of ice in it, kind of glistening in the sun. There were little angels inside. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, I don't care. And I drank that watermelon juice. I drank it up, I'm telling you. <clears throat> and Montezuma's revenge came. I want you to understand, it was not a good thing. <clears throat> if you don't guard your heart, it is the wellspring of life. Why would you drink water that is contaminated? And why would you watch television shows that are going to contaminate? And why would you allow jokes and, and, and things to be said that are risque and inappropriate to get in your ears? My Bible says, no vile thing will I set before my eyes. Amen? We have to learn how to guard our heart. In, in 2 Peter, uh, 
he said this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The key word of all that is increasing. You can't stay where you're at in your walk with the Lord. You have to move forward. You've got to always be growing. Now, there are going to be days when you go backward. I testify to that. But you don't stay there. You pick up yourself and you say, okay, God forgives me. I'm going to work on forgiving myself and we're moving forward. Amen? And you've got to keep moving forward because if you're not, you become unproductive. What did Jesus do to the fig tree that wasn't producing? He cursed it. When we are not productive as Christians, then we are under a curse. When we are not productive as Christians, we are under a curse. I'm going to say it till you get it. When we are not productive as Christians, we are under a curse. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be under a curse. I've already lost all my hair. You know what I'm saying? Spiritual growth is not an option. We have to grow spiritually. And I don't care where you're at. You may be a saint of God. You still got more to do. You still got more room to grow. Amen. Everybody in this room's got plenty of room to grow. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, you ain't done yet. Amen. But what about this blessed assurance? I was thinking about singing the song, but I love y'all too much. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What about this, if I got assurance, then why do, why do I got to work so, why do I got to make sure everything's right? Blessed assurance. Let me read this to you in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Blessed assurance. If you go on in that song, that old, I'm talking about an old song. Some of y'all may not know, but it talks about perfect submission, perfect delight. Why do I have blessed assurance? Because I have submitted and I have delighted in the Lord. Psalm 27, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. And so I can't just say, well, I said a prayer one day five years ago. So blessed assurance, I'm going to go to heaven. We can't say that. Now, I know that that is taught in a lot of different places. I understand there's all different guys, but, but it, it is, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. The Bible says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So are you saying, Pastor, I should be scared, I should be nervous? No, not at all. But my hope is that when I reach out to God, I know that I know that I know he will take hold of me. Amen. And as long as I keep reaching out to him, as long as I don't quit the journey, as long as I don't just completely rebel and leave God, he's going to help me in my weakness and get me where I need. It says, for he who has started a good work in me, he shall finish it and complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't have to do all the work. I don't have to be perfect. I can't do all the work, but I've got to reach out to him. And as long as I reach out, I can have blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. 
But I cannot say, well, I don't care about what you say. I don't like you no more. I don't want to spend time with you. Who cares? I, I believe, but who cares? And walk over here and then still have blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. But the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's true. Somebody said, well, God's a loving God. How can he send anybody to hell? He doesn't send anybody to hell. We make a choice. And he loves us all the way. He loves us all the way. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not saying that you should be fearful. But I, I'm also saying you can't take it for granted. Salvation is something you have to treasure. Amen. Our assurance is in the fact that he is faithful. Not that I can go and do whatever I want. Amen. Now some people teach that. I want to I wanna touch on that just for a minute. First Timothy chapter 1. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. He said, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. I want you to completely understand, you can shipwreck your faith. And so can I. We can fall away. That's what happened to Judas. Judas wasn't born wicked. He wasn't born evil. He wasn't established to do this thing against God. He was a sincere follower, sold out for God, left everything to follow Jesus Christ. But little by little, things began to happen. And he began to take his ship into waters that it shouldn't go. And the next thing you knew, he had shipwrecked his faith. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. That's why, that's why the Apostle Paul is always saying, hold on. Hold on unswervingly to the hope you profess. He says, let us not give up meeting together. I, I need to be reminded at least once every seven days that I need him. Amen? In case I can't figure it out every moment of every day. Amen? And that's why the he's always saying, don't get lost. Don't fall away. Don't take this lightly. Don't take him for granted. Hold on with all you got. Guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Amen? Some people love cars, careers. Some people love their marriage, their spouse. But we have to cherish our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ above everything else. Amen? Our faith must remain firm until the end. Matthew chapter 24. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Talking to the Christians during the end times. He said this is what's going to happen at the end. You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. This is already happening. It happened back then. It's happening again in, in many countries. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time many will turn away from the faith. They'll turn away from the faith. They didn't, it doesn't say they never had faith. It says they had faith and turned away from it. And many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. Are we seeing that today? The increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. It's amazing that we live in a day and time that if, if somebody does cut you off, bless God, you're nervous to honk the horn because they may jump out with a gun. You don't know what's going to happen. That's the day we live in. 
Why? Because the love is growing cold. And it says, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, the issue is, is all this stuff that I'm going through, I've got to figure out how to hold on to Jesus through it all. And I can't take it lightly. I can't just think, well, everything's going to be okay. Every force in this earth outside of God himself is fighting to get you depressed, to get you down, to get you sad, to get you discouraged, to get you angry, to get you bitter, to get you separated so that you alienate yourself from everybody else in the church so that you get off all by yourself. Because once the devil gets you by yourself, you ain't got no support. And he can start speaking all kinds of lies to you and take you where you never wanted to go. We need one another and we need the Lord. Amen. And all the forces of this world are working against us. And somehow we just kind of nonchalantly walk through. And God is saying, hold on. Hold on. Amen. We must win the war of our soul. Now let me get back to Judas. I didn't mean to say all that. Now, here's what happened right after they chose the 12. So Jesus, he went to his society, he chose 12. 1, 2, 3, 4, 10, 11, 12. That's how we count in West Texas. <laughs> okay. So what happens after that? He teaches a sermon on the mount, greatest sermon ever preached. Judas is right there, listening, soaking it up, taking it in. After that, uh, a, a man comes, a centurion, a Roman soldier come up says his daughter is ill and so Jesus is going to go and heal him and the man says you don't have to go you're a man of authority just speak the word and so Jesus speaks a word over here a man's daughter's healed over there Judas sees it all takes it all in soaks it up and then Jesus is walking through and as he's walking through he comes along a, a funeral and, and the people are carrying the the coffin on their shoulders and going through and Jesus said well y'all stop for a minute and he puts his hand on the coffin raises the man to life the man sits up in the coffin and starts talking. How many people ran like cockroaches? <laughs> right? I think you, you know God's got a sense of humor, right? Judas is right there. Sees it. it, it it's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing. And then this happens, Luke chapter 7. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now you got to understand, perfume was something that was typically for a woman of the night. Very valuable, part of the trade. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And he tells the story. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the, warm, the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And, and, and what did they say? What was going on in the crowd? Was anybody griping? Anybody complaining? Nope. Everybody sitting there. All 12 apostles. Whew, that's a good lesson. Keep my mouth shut. Jesus know what he's doing. Mm. Glad I'm not Simon. He even knew what he was thinking. I got to fix what I'm thinking before Jesus sees what it is. Silence. They didn't say anything. Then somewhere between two and three years go by. Walking with Jesus, talking with him, hearing the stories, seeing the miracles. Can you imagine what it was like to walk everywhere Jesus went? The Bible says everything we read is not nearly everything that happened because they don't have enough pen and, pens and ink and paper to write it all down. But Judas saw it all. Everything. Everything. Listening, following, performing miracles, seeing miracles, experiencing the love of Jesus face to face. Two or three years go by. We don't know exactly how long and, and, and all that kind of stuff, about three years then six days before Jesus is crucified. So Judas has been with him since the Sermon on the Mount, listening and, and hearing and, and, and people being raised from the dead and miracles and the lessons and the teaching and the love of God and, and the Holy Spirit and, and just, I mean, in, in experiencing what you and I have never experienced. We, we strive to experience that through the Holy Spirit, but he was face to face with the Son of God. And then six days before Jesus is crucified, here's what happened. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Another miracle Judas watched. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with... Does that sound familiar? Now, it's a different woman. Same thing. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, how many? One. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Boy, he's come a long way in three years, hasn't he? And he wasn't really objecting about the money. Verse 6, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I don't know. When I look at the two different episodes, there's a difference in Judas. The first time, Judas didn't say anything. Well, you're, you're the Messiah. I've been hearing the sermons and people raised from the dead, and you go. But after all this time, miracles, love, grace, mercy, experiencing God in a way that none of us can even imagine, 
And somehow through all of this, he comes to that place where when the same thing happens, he gets mad about it. Now, Jesus, Jesus was pretty, pretty uh, direct. He said, don't, don't even talk about it. Leave her alone. What she has done is good and it's right. Amen? Amen. I can almost see him looking right at Judith because there's just one disciple, Judith. What she did was good and right. You leave her alone. You don't know what she's been through. You don't know what it took for her to come in here. You don't know she's given everything to me. And what are you, what are you giving to me? I think it was a pretty clear uh, uh, chewing out, as we say, four days later. Four days later. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. And while he was in Bethany, reclined at the table of a home of a man named Simon the leopard, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very per- expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar, poured the perf- perfume on his head, not his feet, but his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Before it was one. Now it's those. Judas was upset. He was angry. He objected. How can someone so close fall so far away? How can someone so intimate with Jesus fall that far? And even after it happens the first time, six days before, and and Jesus rebukes him and and makes it very clear. He should have known from before, but he makes it very clear. And even after that, four days later, and now it's not one disciple who's upset, but those sitting there, all of them were upset. Why? Because between the sixth day and the second day, Judas has been over there gossiping. Y'all know we could have taken that money and used it for something else. Went over to Peter, James, and John and tried to talk to them. I don't think they had anything to do with it, but went to some of the others. And, and, and you, know, you know, he's right. That was a year's worth of wages. We could have fed so many people and take care of them. Had they forgotten that Jesus fed 5,000 with just bread and fish? He doesn't need money. But between the sixth day before he died and the second day before he died, Judas is going around gossiping. How can someone so close fall so far away? There's four things that I feel like happened with Judas that I'm going to be talking about over the next four weeks. And between the time he was called to the time he was filled with Satan and went and betrayed Christ, these are four things that I feel like happened that are easy for me to do. Number one, Judas became comfortable with Jesus. Now, Jesus is my friend, but he's still God. And he wants intimacy, but there must be reverence. And when I become so comfortable with God that I recline with him, 
rather than honoring him. You don't walk into the king's palace. You don't go up to the king's throne haphazardly. You walk in with reverence. He's God. I'm not. Period. When we become too comfortable with God, we will begin to fall away. Number two, Judas mishandled the authority he had received. Jesus gave him the authority to deliver demons, the authority to heal, the authority to preach. He was given the authority of the treasure. In each one of these, he mishandled the authority. Now, everybody here who is a believer, the Bible says that you are a king of priests. You have authority because you're a believer. Some of you have natural authority as well because you're a parent. You're a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a boss. Some of you here got more employees under you than everybody put together. We have spiritual authority and we have worldly authority. When we mishandle what God has given, because don't think that you got that on your own. It is the Lord that gives good gifts to us. And if I take that authority and I don't use it for God's glory and I mishandle my authority, I'm going to start falling away. Amen? I don't, it doesn't matter. You can be a dad. You can be a husband. Husbands, you have authority over your wife, the Bible says. But it also says, submit to one another. And it says, to love her as Christ loved the church. If you take on the, the, the authority of being a husband and then don't love her like Christ and you have no repentance and no desire to love her better, you are mishandling your authority. We have babies and suddenly we're parents. That's a God-given authority. And what does the Bible say? Raise them up in the way they should go. It says, he who does not discipline his child hates his child. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. So the way you discipline is important. When you abuse that authority, you'll begin to fall away. I don't want to talk too much about it. Number three, Judas seemingly got away with secret sin. A lot of times when we sin and there's no consequences that we can see in the moment, we think, well, I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. But really what we think is I shouldn't do that again and then we do it again. I shouldn't do that again, but then we do it again. And it feels like we're getting away with it. And the more we get away with it, the more we fall away from Christ. Because we don't repent. And number four, Judas fell in love with money. You don't have to be rich to fall in love with money. The Bible says you cannot serve both God and money. The word for money there is mammon. And it's talking about how you see money, how you deal with money, how you handle money. And there's a way to handle your money that proves that you love your money more than you love Jesus. And these four things, I believe, led to the downfall of Judas, where he went from being a totally sold-out apostle, chosen by Christ, approved by Christ, approved by the Spirit, approved by the other apostles, to somebody so filled with evil and wickedness that even Satan himself could enter into him. And take him out. Salvation doesn't kill the sinful nature. Amen? Amen. We have to pursue holiness hard. 
You know, the Bible says that, that David was a, a man after God's own heart. You know why David was a man after God's own heart? Not because he was perfect. I mean, he was a murderer and adulterer. He was a man after God's own heart because when he messed up, he repented. He said, Lord, <clears throat> I don't even understand why I did what I did, but I own it, I confess it, and I desperately don't want to do it again. And he did everything he could never to do it again. I'm not sitting here today saying you got to be perfect for God to accept you. He accepts you just like you are. What I'm saying is after he accepts you, if you don't pursue holiness, you'll fall away. Amen? And we have to take it seriously. And when you mess up, repent. That's all you got to do is just say, Lord, I, I messed up. And the word repent doesn't mean say you're sorry. The word repent means to run away from it, to get away from it. Whatever it is, get away from it. Amen? If you got, if you got issues, you got to find a way to get away from those issues. Amen? And don't tell me, well, my husband makes me sin. He might drive you crazy, but he's not making you sin. Sin is a choice. Amen? He got up from the table and he went to the Pharisees and betrayed Christ. And as all the emotion and commotion happened and Jesus is being beaten, he's sorrowful. And he takes his 30 pieces of silver, tries to give it back, tries to undo what was done. But then he goes out to a tree by himself and takes a rope and hangs himself. The last thing I would say to you, you'll fall away if you don't know how to find godly sorrow where you repent in a way and deal with your sin in a way that draws you back to God. Amen? Because our own guilt will drag us down a very ugly way. Amen? And in the end, our spiritual walk will either lead people to Christ or push them away. Six days before, there was one disciple. Two days before, it was all of them. Judas was causing damage. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want to think I just made it by myself. I want to be able to say, Lord, I did all I could to help others come along. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. I've heard it said like this, and I'm going to be done. I'm going to ask Zach to come up and explain the kickball. But the church is going to win. The church is going to win. Period. No question. The church is going to win. Amen. Praise the Lord. Here's the question. By how much? By how much? Will we barely make it? Will just the smallest amount of people barely be right with God that they win? Or will the church run up the score on the devil? And go and, and score taking soul after soul after soul after soul, bringing them into the kingdom of heaven. I want to be a church that runs up the score. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Let me, let me pray for you real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, as we begin, just barely begin to touch the surface of this, this character of Judas, this person, this man, that is such a tragedy. Lord, help us to understand that you are teaching us about ourselves and how to guard our hearts how to set up boundaries so that we stay true to you, how to pursue you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Lord, as we dig into the word, let these principles soak up in our spirit and penetrate us. Or let us hide it in our heart. Let's write it down that we might not sin against you. Lord, help us to be a church that runs up the score. It's in your precious name we pray. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Praise the Lord.